He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 18, Vigilantes Among Us. Luther's presidential campaign was going strong from day one. The other candidates seemed suddenly less glamorous overnight. They became no more than window dressing for the media. There, just to compare and contrast elects, like props in a play. Clark wished he could avoid the subject altogether. When he returned to the Daily Planet after his leave of absence, talk of the election was unavoidable. Luther's candidacy had become an instant media event. Lois was furious at Luther's audacity, yet her articles criticizing him were as effective as screaming into a howling wind. Lex Luther's critics didn't seem to matter. They were drowned out by the sheer publicity push from all outlets. Even the Daily Planet was primarily printing articles on Lex Luther or some associated scandal of his. Clark was more interested in the attack on Lois's apartment. The would-be assassin had been wearing a distinct suit, the kind that superheroes were known to wear. It was time to Clark to do some investigating and talk to an expert. He decided to pay Ray Palmer a visit. At Ray's lab, Clark carefully sketched out the perpetrator for him. Ray, the Atom, responded in his usual dry manner. Huh, would you look at that? I wondered what became of that one. You recognize it? Oh, sure. It's one of my earlier designs. It was one of several that were lost in a warehouse robbery. When was that? Ah, no one really knows. Star Labs didn't even bother to run an investigation. Or at least they didn't bother until too many things had gone missing to ignore. Did the investigation find anything? Not really, but I still suspect it was an inside job. Was this around the time of the Omega robberies? Is it possible that the suits were taken then? Not a chance. The suits went missing years before. But it's good to know that the suit's getting put to use. I wouldn't call it good use. Too bad. It's a good suit. Ray's pride in his work overtook his sense of immediate concern, but Clark was not as confident. He wanted to know who had gone after Lois. Learning that several supersuits were unaccounted for was a new dilemma altogether. Oddly, even though they had been missing for years, another one of the suits soon surfaced. Starling City had a new vigilante, calling himself Prometheus. Working outside of the Justice League, he administered his own brand of the law. The criminals he thwarted ended up dead so often that the Starling City Police had classified him as a serial killer. In recent years, as the Green Arrow became a central member of the Justice League, his young apprentice, Roy Harper, the Red Arrow, had taken over patrolling the streets of Starling. In all of his nights out patrolling, he only had a single run-in with Prometheus, ending in Roy fleeing for his life. He told the League about it one night after their weekly meeting. It was scary. He was like a chameleon or something. Like... I totally couldn't see him. He definitely did something to that suit of his. Like he souped it up to be even more of a super suit. None of my arrows even touched him. Not even my net arrow. And he just kept coming. I don't know, man. He was super freaky. I just barely got out of there. Roy did not look forward to another encounter. He, Oliver, and Nightwing were putting in extra hours in hopes of finding this rogue vigilante. 
Superman joined them on their patrols on a few occasions, yet Prometheus proved to be too elusive. In the meantime, while they patrolled Starling City, Clark was able to ask Oliver if he knew anything about the mysterious sniper in the red and white suit, wearing a giant red scope for an eye. That's Deadshot. Thinks of himself as some kind of vigilante for hire. You mean a mercenary? His motto was like, justice has a price, or something like that. I don't like his philosophy, but I can't help respect his marksmanship. The guy never misses. Oliver's respect for Deadshot's skill did nothing to relieve Clark's worry. If anything, it had the opposite effect. This man had been hired to do a job that was still unfinished. But Deadshot was somehow the least of Superman's worries. Clark felt unseen malicious mechanisms were at play. Deadly vigilantes and supersuits were cropping up all around the world. It was too many to be a coincidence. Most of them, somehow, were in Gotham. A woman known as Nightfall was mimicking Batman's fear-inducing approach, only she had no misgivings to torture or kill. A man in a battery pack, calling himself the Electrocutioner, and another vigilante by the name of Reaper, were both known to leave no survivors. This increase in deadly vigilantes wasn't just happening in Gotham. Coast City had a spear-throwing vigilante known as Javelin, while a globe-trotting self-made hero based out of Switzerland flew around the world in his private jet, executing those he saw as a threat to peace. Armed with a pistol and unironically calling himself Peacemaker, he believed that the only way to make peace was to shoot dead anyone who opposed it. Eventually, even Metropolis had its own mad vigilante, Bloodsport. Bloodsport began his crime-fighting career by simply intimidating people on the street for basic offenses like littering and jaywalking. When he got a supersuit of his own, he began to go after small-time criminals, leaving them hospitalized and in critical condition. Superman thought to talk to him before he hurt anyone else. Maybe, if they were to have a conversation, he might be able to convince Bloodsport to stop being so violent. The hope seemed like a far stretch. The moniker, Bloodsport, was clearly a bad indication of what he thought being a hero meant. Finding Bloodsport was not so simple. He would often disappear from crime-fighting for weeks at a time. When he finally did re-emerge, Superman rushed to the scene, arriving too late to prevent any more violence. Bloodsport had shown no mercy on the would-be criminal. He continued to beat them even after they had gone limp. Superman had to intercede before it was too late. His booming voice rang out. That's enough. Bloodsport stopped punching. He remained hunched over his victim as his body tensed up. Enough! He yelled with indignation before slowly straightening up and turning around. Bloodsport glared up towards Superman defiantly. He was a tall, dark-skinned man, wearing tactical gear over his black supersuit. A red cowl went over his head and covered most of his face. Who are you to decide what's enough? Before waiting for an answer to his question, Bloodsport brandished a grenade launcher and fired upon Superman. With no effort, Clark caught the grenade in his fist and muffled its explosion. He dashed immediately forward to stand directly in front of Bloodsport. But Bloodsport had already cocked his fist back to punch Superman square in the jaw. This was something Clark rarely dealt with. During the few times a criminal actually chose to try to punch him, Clark simply let them try. After hurting their own fist, they would usually surrender. But as Bloodsport's fist closed in on his face, Clark gleamed the faint glow of kryptonite woven into his gloves. The blow struck him with unexpected force, burning as it shredded across his cheek. The next punch was to his gut. Hunched over, Superman was caught on the jaw by Bloodsport's uppercut. Toppling head over heels, Clark gathered himself and pounced upon Bloodsport, grabbing both of his arms. Bloodsport roared with unreasonable rage. He headbutted Superman to little effect. Though there was no kryptonite in his mask, it was made of Ray Palmer's unique fabric. It protected Bloodsport, 
enabling him to repeatedly pummel Superman while his arms were pinned. Bloodsport's headbutting was more of a nuisance than a pain to Clark, but his tactics proved successful. Distracted, Superman was caught off guard when Bloodsport lifted both of his feet off the ground and kicked Superman solidly in the chest with kryptonite-spiked boots. For a second time, Superman found himself falling back stunned as Bloodsport broke free and prepared for his next attack. It had never before occurred to Clark that a single human in a supersuit, with a very little amount of kryptonite, could deal him so much damage. He didn't want to hurt this man, but Clark had to stop holding back and trust that the suit would protect Bloodsport. Falling backward, Superman rolled in midair and bounded forward again, this time punching Bloodsport skyward with a light left hook. Clark had learned from Ray Palmer how these suits absorbed and distributed energy. For a moment after a large impact, the suit would harden and the person wearing it would become immobile in that brief instant. The various components making up the suit, the arms, legs, body, and cowl, isolate the impact of each blow, allowing the other components to continue to move. Clark knew that by continuing to punch all of Bloodsport's limbs and torso repeatedly, he could keep Bloodsport immobilized. While he had him stunned in midair, Superman juggled Bloodsport in this manner, removing all of his tactical gear in the process, including the kryptonite-lined gloves and boots. After several minutes of this, Bloodsport was too jostled to continue fighting. He had passed out. Clark hadn't noticed the crowd that had gathered around, a good deal of which were TV news crews and their cameras. While Superman attempted to bind Bloodsport's hands, one reporter called out, asking for an interview. Before waiting for an answer, the press pool surrounded him. Superman, why are you fighting Bloodsport? Is this a rivalry between superheroes? No, not at all. This man is very ill at the moment. I'm just trying to get him help. Another reporter jumped in with their own question. Superman, can you tell us what you think of Lex Luthor's candidacy for president? Superman paused for a moment to rub his chin before looking straight into one of the cameras. Let's just say, I won't be voting for Lex Luthor. All the reporters shouted follow-up questions, but several military jeeps arrived at that moment. Soldiers immediately deployed from them and set a perimeter around the passed-out vigilante. Their commanding officer approached Clark. He was an especially dashing man, whose smile seemed to sparkle. He extended a hand in greeting as he approached. Superman, it's an honor to meet you, sir. It really is. I'm Colonel Steve Trevor from Argus, and I do believe it's about time you are debriefed. I'm sorry, Argus? The Advanced Research Governance for Understanding Superhumans. We're the government agency funding Star Labs. Off the books, of course. I didn't realize. And that is by design. Steve gave Superman a wink. But we have business to attend to, sir. We appreciate you apprehending Bloodsport, but we'll take him from here. I'm not sure he has superpowers. He just seems to be using a supersuit in that gear. Superman pointed to Bloodsport's equipment that he had removed from him, but it had already been gathered, as had Bloodsport. He lay on a gurney, stripped of his supersuit, and being loaded into an unmarked ambulance. We're well aware of Bloodsport. Mr. Dubois's been on our radar for some time. He isn't superpowered, but let's say he's just so insanely determined that he might as well be superpowered. That sounds about right. But what about this debriefing? What's that entail? Well, honestly, the debriefing is just to give you something to do while my team tidies up. But I really do appreciate getting to meet you. Oh, well, I guess I'm flattered. How did you get stuck with this job? Funny story, actually. I crash-landed in another dimension. Another dimension? Yeah, Themyscira. Themyscira. You know it? Isn't that Wonder Woman's home? Only populated by Amazonian women? That's the one. An island of goddesses. 
I would have been happy to stay, but they didn't have a place for me and I had duties back at home anyway. When I made it back from Themyscira alive, the government gave me a promotion. You've been to Themyscira. That's right, Superman. I sometimes wonder if I may be the luckiest man in the world. You might be. Clark had never considered it possible for a man to enter the realm of the Amazonians. He looked at Colonel Trevor with some awe. The colonel let a beat pass before clapping his hands together. But it looks like we're about wrapped up, so I'm wondering if you can do me a favor, Superman. What's that? Well, I'm hoping you can settle a bet we have back at work. What's the bet? Batman. Is he human? Or does he have powers? Uh, let's just say he's one of those so insanely determined type of guys. Got it. Nice. I just lost the bet. Well, thanks anyway, Superman. It really has been great. Here's my card if you have any questions. I probably won't be able to answer them. Feel free to call anyway. With a wink, a sparkling smile, and a little salute, Colonel Trevor hopped into one of the jeeps as it slowly rolled by to pick him up. Before the press could come back to ask more questions, Superman flew off to see what help he could offer elsewhere. Clark thought he had handled the brief press conference well, but the days that followed proved him wrong. When headlines read that Superman was opposed to a Lex Luthor presidency, Lex used the news as his talking point every day. He lamented how much he wanted to prove to Superman that he could win his vote. Superman couldn't go anywhere without being asked if he would debate Lex. No one cared that Superman wasn't running for president. They just wanted to see him go head-to-head -head against Lex Luthor. Eventually, Clark agreed to the debate, not realizing it would soon be billed as the event of the decade. Feeling the pressure as the night approached, he met up with Lois to help prepare for the debate. They went over Lex's past business ties, his connections to crime, and the various murders he had been associated with. Unfortunately, none of this was any use to Clark in the actual debate. Any reference he made to Lex's past was easily deflated. I've paid for my sins, Superman. I have served my sentence and sought redemption. But what about you? Are you ready to confront your past and make things right, Superman? Luther veered from the agreed debate format and invited John Corbin to come out on stage in his rolling cybernetic body. Lex did all he could to resist from smiling. I believe Mr. Corbin would like to have some words with you. Corbin's robotic voice chided him. Superman, you ruined my life. I was healthy and happy before you started stalking me. Stalking you? What? Everywhere I went, you followed me. I became scared for my life and asked my employer for help. That's when he told me about kryptonite. How it would make you weak, so you couldn't hurt me. Clark was shocked by this accusation. But you were the one to use it against me. I had to protect myself from you. The debate moderator took this moment to chime in. Superman, does this mean you can confirm these events? Well, yes, I had to follow him. And he set a trap for me. I only found you waiting at my job site and defended myself. But that was not the end of it. All of the kryptonite I surrounded myself with made me sick, killing my body and making me into this. How is that my fault? Superman's voice raised just the slightest, reverberating through the room, followed by uncomfortable murmurs in the audience. Corbin continued. The kryptonite is the remnants of your home planet. It came here with you. Lex Luthor stepped in to vouch for Corbin. I think I should say something here. Superman confided all this to me years ago, but only after I pressed him to answer my suspicions. At the time, I felt bad for Superman, his home planet having been destroyed, so I chose not to reveal his secret, for his sake. 
Again, the moderator stepped in. Is this true, Superman? Are you from another planet? Clark sternly looked at Lex for a moment as he realized this was his plan all along. Yes, it's true. I come from the planet Krypton. The audience gasped. Someone in the back of the crowd screamed, inciting a series of events around the large auditorium that soon escalated into a panicked stampede toward the doors. As people in the crowd began walking over one another, Superman took flight and motioned toward them to save the unfortunate people falling to the ground. This only served to rile the crowd further, as many surged even harder to get away. Several bystanders fell to their knees, screaming in hysterics. This was the footage that played repeatedly on all news stations, along with the scandalous headlines that ran the next day. Superman exposed the alien danger, savior or invader. The debate had stopped just then, cameras cutting just as Superman had frightened the crowd into an absolute frenzy. Realizing there was nothing more he could do, Clark flew away. Taking a deep breath, Clark flew beyond the atmosphere. He took several hours to just orbit the Earth away from everyone. Even there, he was still within range of Jean Jones. Jean relayed a simple message. The Flash wanted to see him. It was a convenient coincidence that Clark was above Central City when he received the message. He didn't waste a moment and descended from the sky to find his speedster friend. Though they met up in Central City, the Flash suggested they go somewhere secluded to talk. Clark offered his family summer home in the Arctic. Within moments, the two of them were in the Great Hall of the Crystal Palace, illuminated by the light of the brilliant blue day. The Flash was impressed. Nice place, how about a tour? Well, there's not much to it. You already saw the entrance, and this is the main hall, and that's about it. But where do those doors go? What doors? Those, over there, and over there. The Flash gestured at two large triangular arches on either side of the central altar. I don't think those are doors. Oh, sure they are. Just look at the entrance we came through. They must be doors. Let's check them out. The Flash dashed back and forth between the two doors to no effect. Yet as Clark walked toward one of them, it seemed to sense his presence as he approached. It gave way before him and revealed a long passageway, lined with what Clark suspected must be more doorways. The Flash appeared even more excited by this discovery than Superman. Wow, coolness! The Flash didn't hesitate to enter this newly revealed wing of the palace ahead of Clark. Do you think there's a living room behind one of these? The first room adjacent to the hallway was circular, with several tiers descending toward the center. The ground was softly padded, with pillows scattered about. I kind of want to see the other rooms, but if this isn't a living room, are we even really living? Clark chuckled. They could look at the rest of the rooms later. He made himself comfortable, and the flash followed. Clark was amazed at how soft it all was. I can't believe I haven't been sleeping in here this whole time. Thanks, Flash. Please, Kalel. No need for that here. Call me Barry. Barry Allen. Barry pulled off his cowl, revealing a friendly face that appeared to have a little bit of every nationality in it. Clark was flattered to receive Barry's trust. Exchanging identities was still something he hadn't done with most of the Justice League. Well, in that case, let me introduce myself to you. I'm Clark Kent. Pleased to meet you. Clark offered his hand as though they were meeting for the first time, but Barry was too distracted to take it. Wait, what? You have a second secret identity? How'd you do that? Well, it happened by accident. After Jean started introducing me as Kalel, it kind of just stuck. Wait, did you say Clark Kent? Aren't you the reporter who got shot for looking like Superman? But I saw you that day, at the Hall of Justice. Oh, that was John Jones. He was standing in for me for a few days. But Barry, tell me, 
What did you want to talk about? What's going on? Well, I watched your debate with Lex, and I think we really need to talk about your public image. Don't you think it's a bit late for that? Not at all. It's not too late to get ahead of this. You just need a good publicist, like me. You're a good publicist? No, I mean I have a good publicist. But why do you need a publicist? To keep me from going on television and making a fool of myself. Hearing this blunt truth spoken out loud, Clark buried his face in his hands. It was that bad, wasn't it? I'm not gonna lie, it was way worse. I'm not sure how Iris is gonna spin this, but she's brilliant, so I'm sure she'll figure it out. Iris? My girlfriend. She does all my PR. We were watching the debate together last night. But don't you worry, you can bounce back from this. This is the kind of thing I have to bounce back from? Oh, you have no idea how bad it looked. Just promise me you won't do any interviews until we make a plan. No problem. Consider it done. And maybe just go out of Clark Kent for a little while. Can you do that? I don't see how the world will be in any less need of Superman. Well, do what you have to do, but maybe count on the rest of the league for a bit? Clark managed to avoid the media, but could not bring himself to neglect rescuing those in need altogether. Unfortunately, the damage Lex had done to Superman's reputation was already evident. When he arrived to dig out survivors still buried in rubble by an earthquake, several people cowered at the sight of him. Within a couple of days, all of the Justice League were feeling the backlash of Superman's origin being revealed. Animosity and fear met them when they arrived to help. There weren't many of these hostile voices at first, but the media outlets didn't miss an opportunity to amplify them. The heroes were all being accused of being aliens from another planet. It was time again for the entire Justice League to come together. Though they all worked with one another regularly, and even cohabited the Hall of Justice in shifts, this was only their second time gathering as a whole. Despite Wonder Woman having gone back to her home realm of Themyscira years ago, the Justice League's ranks had expanded overall, now including Nightwing and Red Arrow. The two of them had become close friends, often patrolling the streets of Starling together. As the team gathered in the meeting room of the hall, the usual elation of getting together was somewhat dampened, overshadowed by their pressing concern. While everyone else was chatting in accord, Batman was the last to arrive, draining all mirth still remaining from the room. This was the first time he and Clark had seen each other in months. They made eye contact for the briefest moment. It could hardly have been called acknowledgement. Batman went straight to business, walking over to Nightwing and pulling him aside. He intently whispered something to his former apprentice before calling the meeting to begin. Clark thought it best he keep himself quiet and just listen. He figured it was probably better if he followed their lead. Clark felt horribly guilty for bringing this on everyone, and worried that whatever he did would only make matters worse. Iris West, Barry's girlfriend, joined the meeting, kicking it off by introducing herself and presenting her plan. We need to take the narrative that Lex has started and run with it. So what we do is we hold our own press conference. We'll bring in the whole Justice League and have each of you tell your stories. Let the people know who you are and that you aren't a threat. Batman scoffed. Don't be absurd. There's no way any of us should let the world know who we are. That's the only thing keeping any of our families safe. Mr. Terrific chimed in. I beg to differ. Michael Holt was not entirely shy about his true identity. Batman shot him a stare of icy daggers. Or not. Whatever you want to do. Mr. Terrific took no more persuasion to back down. Many times before, he had already presented to the League the merits of not having a secret identity. But only Ray Palmer and Marty Jiwei seemed to share in his attitude of nonchalance. Black Canary steered the conversation back on course. Is it really necessary that we tell our stories? I mean, most of us are born here on Earth. It's just that we were born a bit different. 
and I really don't want my differences being publicly scrutinized if I can help it. Black Lightning felt the same. I hear that. Plenty of shady organizations are already asking, who's the big black man in Freeland shooting lightning out of his hands? The last thing I need to do is offer up my full bio. Murmurs of agreement around the room told Iris she needed to pivot her plan. Okay, how about this? How about a press conference for just Superman and Martian Manhunter? Unless someone else here is an alien and wants to come forward. Everyone peered around the room at each other for an awkward moment. Good, Iris continued. I was really hoping for no more surprises on that one. Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern, hesitantly raised his hand. My ring is from another planet. Iris spoke between her hands as she palmed her face in exasperation. Do you want to be part of the press conference? Oh, I, uh, no, not really. He awkwardly withdrew his hand. That's fine. Iris attempted to compose herself. But maybe we could just have the rest of the League there, as a show of support. Batman, again, made no effort to hide his disdain for her plan. I won't be there, and I suggest the rest of you make as few media appearances as possible. Barry jumped in to come to Iris's rescue. Now hold on. Not all of us make Dark and Mysterious our brand. I, personally, find publicity to be essential for maintaining my secret identity. Did your publicist teach you to say that? Batman mocked the Flash. At last, Aquaman spoke up. For much of the meeting, he seemed casually distracted, shirt off, lounging back in his chair. Look, y'all, I told Soups I'd have his back, so count me in, whatever we gotta do. Clark was relieved to hear his cousin speak up, and they exchanged an appreciative smile. The Flash was also relieved someone else was showing enthusiasm. That's the spirit. Who else is in? Mari, Vixen, stood up to speak. I have nothing to hide. And this is the least I can do to help a friend who has always come to my aid when asked. And that is no less true for any of you. Her words stirred the room and warmed Clark's heart. Hal Jordan echoed her sentiment. I wouldn't be much of a hero without you, Superman. So yeah, I'll be there. No sooner than Green Lantern spoke up, Ray Palmer and Mr. Terrific volunteered their support as well. The Red Arrow began to speak, but Oliver reprimanded him, telling them not to join. Nightwing leaned forward saying nothing, but exchanging a brief look with Batman instead. Batman took this as his cue. Though all of you are admirable in your sentiment, you're all being naive. This entire idea won't work for one reason. Morgan Edge. Morgan Edge controls two-thirds of the world's media outlets, and this has been his circus from the get-go. He and Luther are in on this together. The room sat in astonishment for a moment before Iris broke the silence. Don't be ridiculous. Edge only controls one-third of the media. It's not like he's running the world. Barry tried to mitigate and help Iris out. And the whole point of doing this is so we can get a chance to tell our own story instead of letting someone else spin it for themselves. Iris promptly agreed. Exactly. Bolstered by her encouragement, Barry went on. And it seems like we have it all figured out. Who of us will be there, and who of us won't be there, and what our message will be. So there's no point in arguing against the whole thing now. If you don't want to be there, don't. In response, Batman stood up and curtly spoke with more than his usual icy chill. Fine. I won't. Robin, let's go. Nightwing only stared up at him along with the rest of them, not stirring in the slightest. Batman's eyes darted around the table as he assessed his own estrangement. Without wasting another moment, he quickly walked straight to the door and was gone without looking back. Clearly, Batman had not expected the meeting to go this way. 
Unfortunately for Superman and the others, their press conference would also not go the way they had expected. Even after Lois Lane had flown all the way to Starling City to attend the event and join Iris's press, they never managed to control the narrative. A stage was erected in the courtyard outside of the Hall of Justice. At its center was placed a long table draped with a white tablecloth. Nearly half of the Justice League was unaccounted for, and the half that did attend stood to the left of the table, where Martian Manhunter and Superman sat. A pair of microphones was placed on the table, one for each of them. Jean Jones started the press conference. It was somewhat commonly known for years that Martian Manhunter originated from Mars and that he was the last survivor of his people. The Martians had all been dead for eons. Jean only survived thanks to being trapped inside of a teleportation transmission, precisely at the moment that his people were destroyed. He was only freed when a scientist from Earth managed to reconstitute the signal containing him, holding him as a prisoner lost in time. This wasn't a new story, but Iris thought it was better retold before Superman explained his own similar origin of being born on another planet and sent to Earth as its last survivor. When it was his turn to speak, Clark chose not to mention Krypton's history with Earth or even its vicinity. This was not common knowledge, and Clark thought it best not to divulge it now. He didn't want to be the bearer of such a revelation, especially not after such a tenuous time. But no matter his intentions, when the press conference turned to questions, there was suspicion in the air. Lois and Iris started off with leading questions, helping Superman elaborate on his story. But not a second after he answered them, the other reporters began their own interrogation. At first, none of the questions were addressed to either Superman or Martian Manhunter. Instead, they addressed the other heroes to the side. Why are so many members of the League missing from this event? None of the others present were clear which of them was being asked the question. They did not have a microphone of their own, yet the press pool did not wait for an answer. The questions kept coming. Do they have something to hide? Are any of them aliens? What is the Justice League's stance on other copycat vigilantes? Will Peacemaker or Nightfall be made members of the Justice League? After a brief moment of looking around at one another to decide which of them should field these questions, the Flash took action by dashing inside the Hall of Justice to find another microphone. Before he returned, Clark spoke up, asking for the questions to be directed at him. But once the reporters returned back to Superman, they found a new line of questioning. It was relatively mild at first, as the many reporters took turns asking questions that precisely followed up on one another. Growing up, did you know you were from another planet? No, I did not. So you never actually saw your planet destroyed? No, I didn't. Then can you confirm its destruction? No, not firsthand. Is it possible that other Kryptonians like you are still coming? I... I don't think so. Is it possible you've been sent as an envoy before an invasion? An invasion? Is that a confirmation? Watching Superman look uneasy, Aquaman stepped forward and spoke up. He didn't use the microphone the Flash had set up. Instead, he just yelled. Now hold on! His booming voice and radiant light betrayed his resemblance to Superman. There is no invasion. Krypton is gone. And how can you be sure? What do you know about Krypton? One reporter asked. But before Aquaman could answer, another reporter jumped in with a more insightful question. Do you have any relation to Superman? Well, uh, yeah, uh, we're cousins. This revelation dropped like a bomb. Clark could see Iris and Lois were noticeably shocked by the news. But even more concerning, Clark could see a faint red dot floating at the center of Lois's chest. As his perception of time came to a near standstill, Clark heard the now familiar sound of a bullet being released from the chamber of a high-caliber rifle. With enough speed to create a gust of wind, Superman dashed from his seat on the stage, 
In a nanite of a second, he was standing before Lois, deflecting the shot only feet in front of her. Clark scanned the cityscape with his incredible vision and instantly spotted the shooter. It was Deadshot, returning to finish his job. He was at least a quarter mile away, already reloading his rifle. Superman bolted in his direction, keeping himself between Deadshot and Lois. But the second bullet Deadshot loaded into his rifle shimmered with that hint of sickly green that Superman knew all too well. Before Deadshot's finger reached the trigger, Superman unleashed a blast of energy from his eyes, melting Deadshot's gun before it could fire. As Deadshot dropped the deformed weapon, Superman came to a halt, hovering at the same level as the mercenary at the top of the skyscraper. Deadshot wasn't someone prone to surrender. Raising both of his fists towards Superman, he unleashed a hail of kryptonite-laced bullets from his wrist-mounted guns. With deft precision, Superman spun around the array of poison-tipped projectiles and landed himself directly behind the red-and-white-clad mercenary. Deadshot's days as a vigilante were over. Superman checked back in with Lois immediately after apprehending Deadshot. By the time he returned with his prisoner, everyone at the scene of the disrupted press conference was still putting together what had just happened. As the police soon arrived to arrest the shooter, it was everything a crowd of reporters could hope for. Deadshot turned out to be a man by the name of Floyd Lawton. Lawton was so exceptionally wealthy that it gave Clark pause to wonder why he worked as a mercenary. Unfortunately, the Daily Planet was the only newspaper to detail the thwarted shooting on their front page. Instead, it seemed that Aquaman's relationship to Superman caught most of the headlines. Some went so far as to speculate on the potential for an alien invasion. Several papers obsessed over what was being called the vigilante problem. Many of these articles made no effort to differentiate between murdering criminals like Reaper and Prometheus from the Justice League members who had chosen not to attend the press conference. Each day it became more clear. All of their efforts to help Superman had only made matters worse for all of the Justice League. Clark feared they should have listened to Batman, but he couldn't bring himself to admit it. Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Sunnivelle is written and produced by myself. If you're enjoying this audiobook, please recommend it to friends and write a review. Another way to show your support is at patreon.com bluefoot. This story was inspired by the Superman and DC comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. With additional contributions by David Vern Reed, Lucier Schwartz, Julius Schwartz, Gardner Fox, Gil Kane, Mort Weisinger, George Papp, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, Grant Morrison, Arnie Jorgensen, Gail Simone, Aletha Martinez, Marv Wolfman, Michael Fleischer, Irv Novick, Mike W. Barr, Alan Davis, Len Wayne, Dave Gibbons, Joe Gill, Pat Boyette, John Byrne, William Moulton Marston, Harry G. Peter, Robert Bernstein, Al Plastino, Joseph Samichson, Joe Serta, Robert Kenninger, Carmine Infantino, John Ostrander, Tom Mandrake, Dennis O'Neill, Dick Dillon, Tony Isabella, Trevor Von Eden, John Broom, Jerry Conway, Bob Oxner, and Paul Norris. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by David Hillowitz, Blue Dot Sessions, Abstract Nostalgic Fractal Systems, Poddington Bear, Chad Crouch, Steve Combs, BioUnit, Beauchamp, Kyle Preston, Mellow C, and Audio Binger. See the episode notes for details. 
For more of my work, get yourself a deck of OmenQuest cards at omenquestcards.com. A waking dream to share with friends. And be sure to listen to the next episode. Chapter 19. A Vote for Justice. <laughs>